Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. Finished eating your porridge because actually that is a question that we do ask on the Bra and the Brave. Nearer the end, though, one of the questions I ask is, um, "Do you prefer salt or sugar in your porridge?" But I've just been witness oh, to yours. I'm, I'm excited already that we've got that question to look forward to because I am very eccentric in my porridge or where I am at the moment. Oatmeal, which I'll, I'll never call it, like outside of this house, it would never, I'd never call it. <laughs> yeah, my uh, porridge is very specific, but. Just a little bit of bait for everyone listening. You need to hold on to the end to uh, to hear exactly what that recipe entails. Love it. You're an expert in this podcast malarkey already. I'm impressed, sir. I'm impressed. Yeah. Over six months to get used to it, right? So you need to you learn something. True story. Absolutely. But the joy of remote podcasting is that you get to speak to people who are across the world from you, like eight hours time difference in yeah. Vegas. I know. Uh, and you get to speak to people like you Colin Cloud hi from Vegas yeah I mean I say people like you but I, I, I doubt there is anybody like you Colin Cloud not with this much hairspray no um but uh yeah what a time to move to Vegas right move to Vegas the entertainment capital of the world and uh yeah we're just going to go on pause for a bit just you know go hang out and uh yeah we'll see what happens jeez oh, <laughs> I know gosh yeah right I mean I know everyone listening we're all in the same boat but oh my, like it's for everyone, yeah, it's still, uh, I, and this is, it's amazing, I only speak to my family and friends really in Scotland, not, this is the first time you and I have chatted, kind of face-to-face, I can see you people listening, uh, we have our cameras on, but uh, but yeah, it feels surreal when I get to speak to people from Scotland and feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm not there anymore, and this thing that's happening here, which feels like a very Americanized Trump nonsense thing is also happening there and everywhere. It's it's crazy. It really is mad. Yeah, absolutely. But I can totally relate. I mean, I can't relate in, you know, moving to Vegas. I mean, that's not a sentence that you get to say every day. I'm going to move to <laughs> Vegas. But I can absolutely relate in terms of like working in the entertainment industry and that it just feels like overnight everything just shut down and it's just such a unusual, scary uncertain place to be right oh, now I know. no totally and i mean like don't get me wrong i get that it had to to stop and keep everyone mm-hmm. safe and like number one safety is like above everything else of course um but you know i don't envy you know a lot of these politicians who are meant to meant to be leaders at the moment um i mean they haven't been amazing in my opinion but i think on you know regardless they had this really tough call where safety and the economy are two things that they had to balance and i like i said safety needed to come first but then the economy and looking at people and you know and how different sectors and of course doctors nurses teachers people that work in supermarkets truck drivers all of that is like crucial and we've learned that more than ever just how amazing those people are but then yeah there is the flip side to it which is the uh you know the fact that we needed to look after everyone in the entertainment industry and those fields the arts and you know i think people sometimes don't realize that all that stuff is what does lead and i you know this is going to be the second time a lot of people are hearing this, but all that stuff's what leads to, you know, the creative work on Netflix and Panto and this and that. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a shame that those people have been left in the dark. Yeah, I mean, I think this, this time is definitely confirmed for a lot of people the importance of the arts and entertainment and how much we should value it 
in our lives. You know, when everyone was stuck at home and there was so much music and content being put out there in the world because people were just desperate to do what they love to do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you say that and then, you know, of course, Taylor Swift comes out with a brand new freaking 14 song album and you just go, oh, you sneaky sausage. Um, but, but, you know, so it's so interesting that, you know, some people have been able to thrive. Other people, you know, there's some days where I get up and I'm, I've got all the plans in the world to go be creative and sit and write. And I'm just, I just can't be bothered today. So I've just accepted that some days now, I, I don't I don't force myself anymore to feel like I have to. If I do it, I do it. And if I don't, it's like we're, we're not in a hurry at the moment. So, uh, you know, I think as long as, you know, your mental sanity is the thing that you're looking after most, then everything else comes second. Absolutely. Here, here, you're spot on there. Absolutely. And that will resonate with so many people, I'm sure. Mm. That creative side, and I, I personally believe that everyone has a creative side. It's just whether you choose to tap into that and how you tap into that. Is that something from a young age? you tapped into and what what was your interest? I mean, I was very sciencey as a kid. Um, I loved the, taking things apart and putting them back together. I was never really into, like, the stuff I do is kind of magic-y, but not pulling rabbits out of hats and stuff. So I was never really into magic magic. I loved watching, like, Paul McKenna, but I mainly loved watching... I think it was BBC Two every Friday night had, like, the fast show, Harry Enfield and Chums, and all this comedy stuff that would just appear. And I would record it on the Friday, and then Saturday, Sunday, I would sit with a notepad working out why stuff was funny. And, like, I loved dissecting comedy and watching even things like, you know, The Simpsons and Friends and just being like, why why are people laughing? So I loved always that. I always loved the comedy before all this other stuff first. That was, like, my big my big passion was, like, why is that funny? So it's, it's you know, I can go to like the hydro and watch Kevin Bridges for, you know, two hours chatting and I'll find, I might not be laughing out loud. I mean, I don't laugh out loud. It's weird. But in my head, I'll be thinking, that's hilarious, you know? So I'm, I'm really weird in the way that I watch stuff. I mean, I you know, Kevin, for example, one of the funniest people on earth, but I think my brain's just always been very analytical, which then kind of usually contrasts with like, or jars with creativity because like if you are very analytical, mm. that, that can hinder it. So uh, I think the flip side was loving Sherlock Holmes and just that, fictional character who could do these amazing things so then my brain took all the analytical stuff that i knew and then sort of applied it in weird and wonderful ways and then i think when you get on stage and you learn how to interact with and engage an audience you then start to learn how to be aware and present and i think you then massage all that other stuff and it all filters and it kind of i'm making shapes with my hands now like i'm diving invertly into a pool of like screwed McDuck style money. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying I've, <laughs> I've dived in a lot of money. I'm just saying that's the yeah, that's what I imagine. You're you're coming those two hands together, diving in, and it just eventually clicked into place, and it all just sort of, you know, yeah. I, I found my way of creating, and usually it was creating like an hour show for the Fringe, mm-hmm. and it would be very, I suppose, kind of procedural in that I knew that I wanted this type of ending, then this type of star, and this type of overarching theme, and then this hook, and then this. You know, so then my brain would then find ways of filling in the blanks. But I think, you know, being someone who's very analytical, it did take practice. It took time. And I think the more I've done it now, the better I have definitely gotten at it. Eh, just a bit, I Just just a tiny bit, <laughs> for <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> I mean, obviously I was doing my research, but I've been aware of your career for a long time. You know, my mum is a massive fan of yours and came to various shows. I mean, I learned about you through my mum and we've performed at the same venues but never at the same time although it makes for a makes for a good excuse to come to vegas now to be fair yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not doing any shows at the moment but uh 
but no, like absolutely being aware of the amazing things that you've been able to do. And I, and I know I'm going to, I'm kind of pedaling backwards t- towards um, you growing up as a young person, but you were saying that you had this interest in science and, you know, your brain was very analytical. So at school, you're thinking I'm going to go and study forensic science? Yes. Uh, I love like CSI was on TV then and they made it look very sexy and appealing. And unfortunately, it wasn't quite as sexy in the end some of it was really interesting um but it was a lot of waiting about in a lab coat in a lab waiting for results and stuff on tv it takes 30 seconds in real life it can take like 10 hours so by then i'd started performing more and more at like the stand comedy club and trying stuff out there and i'd been doing shows very small shows at like the fringe and stuff and uh you know only like in the the back of tea shops like kind of away from the center but like still counted kind of um so i'd already had a sort of you know a a taste for that that world and i think on comparison the idea of either being stuck in a lab forever or being on stage performing i mean that was definitely way more way more appealing so I did psychology in first year. I did a social sciences degree. I ended up with an English degree. But in first year, we got to pick five subjects. And I actually went in through psychology. And I remember one of the lecturers saying, well, I think it was like day two or something. They were like, if you're thinking about studying forensic science, like forget about it because it's only the elite that get into it. And we were all like, right, Cool. And I think everybody in the room was just like, well, that's no me. Maybe apart from one person. That, that was probably yourself, Colin. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's very, I think it's more an American thing as well, you know, that being a separate branch and stuff. And in the UK, it works a little bit differently. But um, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I've done really nothing with the degree other than say, by the way, I studied this. That is <laughs> four years of my life so that I, uh, I can claim that I have studied forensic science. But, you know, like I said, some of it was interesting, but I definitely have used very little of it, unfortunately, since... Uh, I say unfortunately, I'm not... You know, I don't miss it. But, uh, but yeah, and I think what I got out of those four years was way more rewarding and way more important. I mean, I went quite young. I got accepted at 15, started at 16. So I graduated by the time I was uh, was 20. But you know, I, I really grew up really fast there. And I had always been really shy and reserved at school because I was very geeky and sciencey. So I kept my head down and tried not to interact with, you know, too many of the assholes and just stay out of the way. So it was nice to get away from that and finally be able to, uh, I suppose, grow into the person that I kind of thought that I wanted to be and not feel like I had to stick to those perceptions of, you know, oh, you like learning. Well, you know, whatever people tended to think about that, it was it was nice to then be amongst people who enjoyed learning the same stuff and being able to then be more confident with that and really then came out my shell, thankfully, at a younger age than I might have done otherwise. So, you know, all that stuff definitely helped this uh, this progression and this, uh, this journey. Yeah, I totally hear you. I had a very similar experience of high school you know was academic you know and inverted commas so then that you know that just sends out a message and actually the arts was something I did out with you know a lot of the time out with school it was just you know you're academic so you'll definitely go to university and like like yourself I don't regret studying I think it was the experience of going to uni and meeting new people and opening your mind to the world and you kind of you're able to form this version of yourself that's very different from high school I guess but um Was there like a light bulb moment where you decided that you were going to take the interest that you had and the knowledge that you were acquiring at university about the mind and studying everything you were studying, but then to marry that with, I can put this on a stage and I can make this entertainment? Yeah, so straight out of university, I got sort of 
picked up by a, a company called Tree of Knowledge, who not religious, they are a motivation and engagement training organization. Do you know who they are? You're yes. Nodding. Yes. So basically, they um, they were at the SECC at an event for people leaving university, uh, I think end of January. And I went up to them at the end and said, uh, you know, because they'd just spoken and uh, the guy on stage at the time. And I, I was like, you know, leaving university. He went, I think, are you? do you do like magic, mind reading stuff? And I was like, yeah. He's like, I've seen your show. And it turned out the guy who was on stage just speaking to like 4,000 people had seen me do stuff, knew who I was, and then said, we're hiring one more person. Uh, do you want to come in for a job interview? So I went for the job interview in February, started with them at the end of February, was still finishing. I had to do two dissertations. So I was learning all that stuff, finishing writing, studying for exams. It was mad. But then I, I worked with Tree of Knowledge for four years. Then myself, one of the current owners, uh, sorry, two, three current owners still there, Gavin Oates, who is the guy who you will know who's written loads of amazing books on the mind and self-help since I've left. And we also performed together, but I'll get to that. We led a management buyout and we bought the company from the guys that owned it. So then I was with them as we grew the company. And one of the one of the closing sentiments or lines was I would tell young adults, to, well, number one, young adults to, to aim massive in life. And, I, and I, I fully believe this is that if you're doing anything in life and you aim quite low, then, you know, you probably will get there and job done. But if you aim absolutely huge, even if you don't get exactly there, you're still going to get much further than if you only aim really low to begin with. So that was in my head. And then I was also one of the closing lines working with companies was, look, if you don't enjoy your job, if you don't like the people you work with, if you dread getting out of bed in the morning, there's a bit of groundbreaking advice that we're going to share with you. Leave and go find a thing that you do love. And I remember saying that one day, and that was the sort of moment in my head. It wasn't really a light bulb going off as it was more a feeling of sick in the pit of my stomach as I realized I'm telling people this and I'm being utterly hypocritical because I think I would now rather be going and doing that thing. So it wasn't really, it wasn't a positive, like, I mean, it wasn't a bad moment, but it was just a feeling of, oh my God, like I need to now go do that, you know? So for the right reasons, it was a real, ooh, moment, but, mm. you know, and it was scary, but um, I basically kind of mulled that over for a few weeks and basically had to sit down with them and say, I, I need to I need to move on and leave and go pursue this other thing. Otherwise, I'll regret it for the rest of my life. And that's what I've done. Wow. And where do you, does that come from? Is that innate, innate to you? Did you told from a young age that you can achieve anything that you want to achieve? Well, or... my parents have always been incredibly supportive of whatever I wanted to do. Like whether it was, you know, go to university young, whether it was I want to go try out this new Saturday, I want to go try judo. I want to go try archery. I want to go try, you know, flying mm. lessons. They were, you know, my parents left school when they were like 16, super young and have worked their asses off to start their own businesses. And they're, you know, very, whether they're aware of it or not, very entrepreneurial in their thinking and their approach to life. And so that was always, you know, very encouraging and very inspiring, but not from a super wealthy background or anything like that at all. You know, just, I would say from a normal background and they've worked really hard and, you know, they've grown their businesses and, and done amazingly well. So watching that was always very encouraging, whether they've been aware of that or not. But I think that mindset, that approach is what then spawned over to, to me. Thankfully, they, you know, they passed that on. And yeah, anything I wanted to do were very, very supportive. So yeah, I'm very lucky in that in that regard, that sense. But uh, but no, I don't think I've I've always from a young age, like I've had to work hard at stuff. I don't think I've ever naturally been good at anything. 
Like I've always, I've always had to annoyingly work way longer than everyone else to uh, to to get to where I want to be. And maybe that's because I I've got so many, I suppose, self-imposed limitations of things that I want to add to stuff. Like I, I always, if I'm performing, I want to do stuff you know, differently to that comedian or, you know, I want to do something that Darren Brown has never done on TV because I don't just want to copy him. And so all these, you know, these good pressures, because you do see other people, like I go to the stand and I see comedians just say things that Kevin Bridges has said. And I'm like, yeah, you're a great imitation act. Uh, that's that's not, a I mean, thankfully the comedy world's way better at this. The comedy world's great at not allowing people to steal material, which is, you know, amazing. The magic world is a little different in that people are very good at just uh, taking what they want. And, and it's like, oh, so I've always tried to go that extra mile to do stuff that is very hard to replicate without putting the time in that I have put in to do this stuff. Yeah. And, and I think just because I, I do just want to make sure that what I do is different. I want to make sure that an audience can only see what I'm doing from me doing it. And, you know, that's not me trying to be selfish. That's me trying to really advance the art form that I'm really passionate about and that I really love. But also, I feel like when I've stood on stages like the Pleasance Grand for three years in a row and it's sold out, it's like you have a responsibility to make sure that whatever you're presenting and performing in there is something unique to that you need to deserve to be there essentially. And I've always felt like if I was just copying people, I would sweat all year writing that show and then do night one and go, oh my God, it was dreadful. Then overnight I have to rewrite big chunks and you know that pressure and that stress. But really it's, it's more, it's that care for the thing that I love doing has always been the thing that I hope is what has helped me to want to stand apart. And yeah, that has meant that some nights like first night at the fringe when I came off stage and I've, I've overran by 30 minutes uh, and I'm like, oh, I need to cut that down. Uh, but then that bit was dreadful anyway. Change that, tweak that. You know, I mean, at the fringe, like, I, oh, I missed the fringe more so, obviously, this year with it not even being there. But, but yeah, the fact that uh, I come off stage and I know that I'm not – I always know that I'm never going to sleep the first night because I know I'm going to be up all night rewriting big chunks. But I love that. I love – I love that it is that exhausting. I love that it's that hard because I think if it wasn't and if I didn't put the time in, then I wouldn't be, you know, where I am now with it. And I think, of but but the point, but what I'm saying is that, you know, if I can do it, then anyone can do it. You just need to be willing to put that time, that effort and that energy into what it is you want to achieve. And then, you know, these things will start to happen. And it is a snowball effect where it's harder to begin with. And then you build up the muscle memory, the tolerance to it, the approaches, the strategies, the thinking. And before you know it, you're coming up with the stuff that you want to be creating, whatever it is you're doing, uh, much, much quicker. Yeah, it's absolutely a craft for you. You're not looking for a shortcut just to like pull in the audience and go like, right, wham, bam, thank you. Like you say, it's a duty of care to to hold space for people, people to spend their well-earned cash or the, even just of giving of their time to come and see this thing you've created. Like you can't stand on a stage and not be authentically you. And exactly. I mean, yeah, you've just said it perfectly. Number one is authenticity. And if you're not authentic on a stage, the audience can see through it. It's awkward. It's weird. It's cringy. It doesn't work. So, yeah, so that is key. But, yeah, the fact that people are spending their money, but more importantly, their time, you do have that responsibility to make sure that what you're showing them is very much from from your mind and, you know, you. I find it funny when you see these comedians who pay for writers. And I get that they must get that material and still tweak it and shape it and craft it. Of course they do. But I just can't imagine right now anyway wanting to. I mean, there are definitely people that I consult with. There are people who direct what I do and they're like, that is shit. Change that part don't do that again. 
and they're great at coming up with like five suggestions. And of those five suggestions, I can work out which one's best for me and how I tweak it. But like, I don't, I would never just have someone go, could you go write 60 minutes for me and I'll go learn like, oh, that that's one of the best bits. Like, why would you not want to do that? And again, that is, you know, that's, that's you earning your uh, your right to be mm. one of those people, I feel. so. Uh, and that's where a lot of the magic happens in the creation of it, tweaking away and plugging away at it, and it constantly changing, even when it is in front of an audience. You are constantly yes. going back to the drawing board and going, right, okay, that didn't work. And I guess with a live audience, anything is possible and anything can go very right and very wrong. Yeah, no two shows for me have ever been the exact same because I am so much engaging and interacting with you know, ran- genuinely people picked at random. So it's, uh, yeah, that always has kept it exciting and made it that I need to be very, like I said earlier, present on stage and very aware of everything happening and very on my feet thinking of comebacks. I mean, it's every art form is tough and it has its own, you know, stresses and, and, and whatnot. But, you know, when I'm on stage, I feel like I need to be the, the the mind reader that everyone's expecting me to be, the comedian to keep it together, the actor, the storyteller, that there's all the, within what I do, there's so many aspects to it that I feel like I need to get right. Otherwise, it's like, I, I feel like I've, I've missed the mark. And, you know, so it's always been tough. And there, there's all these things, and people just turn up and they just, you know, <laughs> some people, when, when they went, oh, I like that trick where you did this. And I'm like, Cool. You know, and I, I don't really mean well, but it's like, but what about this? What about the way I put that? What about the lighting changes that I thought of that would be really, in, you know? So, but it is, it's hilarious. But everyone takes something different from it, and I, I get that. The other end of that spectrum, I was walking from, I think Nando's one day with a Nando's wrap to the Pleasants, and I, I, I forget the actress's name, but you know Haley from Coronation Street. Yes. So she was running down the street, and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, as I'm biting into my Nando's wrap, I'm thinking, that's Haley from Coronation Street. That's hilarious. Only at the fringe. Then she stops, turns around, goes, Colin Cloud, I saw you last night. That was amazing. And I just kept, you know. And she then, we met in the loft bar, and she was chatting through, like, the use of, like, the space and the lighting and where I would stand for stuff. So, like I say, it is amazing that there's such that spectrum of, because p- different people come to see my shows for different reasons. Some, they are very much the theatre lover, so it needs to have that theatrical sense. There are people that just want to see clever mind tricks, and you know, there needs to be that, that are different. So it is funny that I've tried to tick all these boxes, keep all these people happy. And and thankfully, I, I think... Um, based on the <clears throat> five-star reviews. Um, I, uh, you know, <laughs> but, you know, that that has come from, like I say, years and years of crafting and refining and, and really pushing myself to make sure that what I'm doing, like I say, deserves to be in front of all these people because, uh, you know, it is stressful. It is hard. It does get easier, thankfully. But uh, but that is ultimately, that's, that's why we do it, right, is to create something people haven't seen before. Otherwise, what's the point? Absolutely. And just that, when you were talking about that attention to detail and things that people don't notice. But and I had this similar conversation with your friend Ryan Davidson on the podcast, just about every element of it. And like you're saying, you seek advice where need be, you know, in terms of whether it be lighting or whether it be music that's involved or because it's set in that atmosphere. Yeah, exactly. Before you've even like probably before you've even walked on on the stage. Yeah, and Ryan, he he has consulted and helped with pretty much every show that I've done. Uh, at the fringe you know so he's been a huge part of that journey even when i've done things like gone to the royal variety performance ryan has come with me just to sort of be you know wingman is not giving him the the respect that he deserves for you know the help that he but you know we have someone there that 
when you're exhausted and you're, you know, you're in those situations and you've got 10 producers telling you they want different things, it's great to have someone there who can almost act as like your real-time hindsight of being like, no, do it like this and here's why. And Ryan, for me, you know, is one of the, the two people that I trust most for, for doing that. I've got a friend in America who was the best man at my wedding called David Gerard. He's like my American Ryan and then Ryan's like my British David. So uh, those two just, they just, they understand me they're phenomenal performers and they just know how to make it work. And so they've always been amazing, you know, friends and consultants to have on site uh, for all these things to basically help me kick it into shape quickly because that's what you need. If someone to bounce it off who gets you and understands you. Yeah. Do but- you have like, um, cause I'm just thinking of everything that you've got to think about every single time that you're about to go on stage and you are a forensic mind reader. So everything that you're doing, it's all going on in that head of yours that wonderful head of yours are there certain things that you need in place prior to go on stage just to set the tone right for yourself and like for you to feel that you're ready i mean yes but for like a million weird like you know come um, on tell us some of your quirks well you know all quirks things that i do before on stage um you know, I'm very much paying attention to the audience, like from the minute they walk into the room, and I'm, I am watching them from the wings. And uh, the Pleasance Grand, the way that it works, there's a certain part backstage where you can look out and see everyone coming in. And I, I could, and they would, I'm so in darkness, they're never going to see me. But I would very much watch every audience come in. And when it's been raining and people are drenched in the mood, how different that is. And I'm trying to work out, right, I've got certain things that I, for different shows that I can say at the beginning. And it's trying to work out how to who to aim certain things at to address the situation to you know you want to kill all the elephants in the room so that you start from a, a, a clean slate and you know expectations ultimately can can kill and hinder everything and when people come in with that it's like that side of it as well it's like i want to start with an expectation of you know just a level playing field and we, we go from there but part of that then is getting everyone on that same page and there's, there's that picture of um the performer on stage and it shows you everyone laughing. But within that, there's one person with like an angry face. And it says what, you know, what the audience sees and then what the comedian sees or what the performer sees. And it, it just cuts out everyone else. And you see that one angry face. Like I'm very much always trying to find that person before the show starts so that they are pretty much one of the first people that I'll engage in the show. Because I want to I crack those nuts early on. I learned from Wild Cabaret in Glasgow, which is where I really learned to get, not to get good. That was where I really learned to make people care and grab attention because Wild Cabaret, for people who don't know, uh, is a venue where people are coming in at all times. It's all, their people are coming in and out constantly. Drinks are being served, food's being served, and you're meant to engage the, well, sorry, you're meant to entertain the audience while they're, while they're doing that. And a lot of the acts there are visual acts. So audiences can be eating and watching that and not need to actively engage. Whereas I was there doing 20 minutes of talking on stage and, that just shouldn't work. And I think the first couple of times I tried it, it wasn't perfect, but I really learned to build up this resilience, this armor to be able to walk onto any stage now and literally grab people by the whatevers and uh, really not let go until I walk off. And that is like an attitude that I've, even when I walk on stage now in the Mirage, I'm walking out there in my head, like I'm walking onto the stage at Wild Cabaret so that I just walk out with this, this confidence and it's like it's that swaggered conjures up the wrong image but like it's that i'm walking out even the same pace of not too fast because if you go too fast it's like you're trying too hard too slow it's like you don't really care enough 
if anything, I'm more on the edge of walking out quite slow because it's like I want the audience to be like, wait, this is what? Oh, this is not. This is I need it to jar with their subconscious expectation. And by walking out just a little bit too slowly, and you know, even learning from comedians, taking the mic out of the stand, putting them the stand off to the side, and just making people realize. Because if I come out right away and just start, it's like. Well, the audience can just go, nope, and that's it. Whereas if I come out, I'm eating my dinner. Yeah, exactly. Whereas if I come out and I do all this stuff, and the audience are like, "Wait, he's he's here, but he's not even done." Is is this weird, messed up? Does he want to show us this? What is he going to do? Like, it's making them wait for it almost, so that there's just that appreciation and attention. And it's so I learned that very much from from Wild Cabaret. And um, gosh, the good old days of Wild Cabaret. But it's so funny when you say that image of that one person that you're like I'm going to make you like this because I used to be a pro cheerleader and we would sometimes do corporate events and there was always one woman sitting with her arms folded and her face like fizz and it was just that you just you could couldn't read her mind although I'm sure you could have gone (laughs) But, but you just knew that she had this perception of these scantily clad cheerleaders and you're going I'm just a dancer and I just want to perform and I'm actually a really good person you would just perform to her you know no judgment but yeah Yeah, I totally get what you're saying and it it just it's exhausting I mean the level to which you perform and everything that you've done I mean we'll get on to it but like I'm talking in a a much smaller scale in that room in Wild Cabaret but any audience is important no, totally. I love what you said there about you go, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. <laughs> like, That's uh, totally what was going through my mind every single time. <laughs> I, just, I just love what I do. And, it, you know, this is entertainment. <laughs> oh, I've got a cat. It's really proud. Um, yeah, it's, uh, but it, you raise a really good, interesting point. It's like, what is it we're trying to achieve? By why, why do we choose to put ourselves through that, that judgment and that pressure when it's just like, know. you know, but at the same time, like, most I, I can't think of a time where I've really had dreadful, dreadful audience members. I mean, I think because I am on stage, you know, doing what looks to be real mind reading. Like I've always felt that anyone who claims to be a mentalist should know if their audience are bored or not interested. Like you should know that, and you should know what to do about it, right? Like mind reading, mind reading in inverted commas is uh, is tough because at least like sleight of hand magic is visual, and there's always a spectacle to be looking at. But when you're doing just spoken word entertainment, whether it's mentalism, comedy, poetry, whatever it is, you need to be engaging and interesting and uh, and present and, as you said, authentic and all this stuff. And so many people that I see try and do mentalism stuff, they've not found who they are yet as a human being or a performer. And most people do magic because it's a way of connecting, but with something to hide behind. Whereas the mentalism-y stuff is just you and them, really. And it's like you've got nothing to hide behind. So you better be able to interact and engage with people. But ultimately, fundamentally, you should be able to read. And I mean like this in the truest sense. You should be able to read the audience. And you should know if, if people are enjoying it, then great. Keep doing that. But if something that you're doing isn't getting the reaction you want, you should be able to work out why. And why are people not liking that? And why? You know, and I think I, I'm now not like shy in... If someone's being obnoxious, like when I, so, you know, I toured with Illusionist for a while and some of those shows were stadiums. That was like six to 8,000 people. Now I get the visual stuff, the big boxes, when we had like people getting sawn in half and all that stuff, people can watch that and be a part of it. But when I'm then on stage with just a, a microphone and people are way at the back. So my first thing was, okay, well, I'm going to walk out on stage. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to use someone who couldn't be any further away. 
because then it feels like I'm speaking to them and then that draws everyone. And we've got cameras, so that thankfully and a spotlight on them and, and it just made it feel like, okay, well, at least I'm not speaking in the front row because then it's like, no, number one, boom, speak to the back row. And, and that really came from Wild Cadbury, knowing that the booths in the back corner were always like eight people who were at a party and celebrating something and they were already drunk by the time they got there. And it's like, cool, use them first. And by using those people at the back, everyone else then is, it's like you're throwing out a net and it's drawing everyone in, you know? So like all these little things that I learned from from performing there that I've just applied now, you know, in different environments. And, but it's but it all came from that. But I think, you know, anyone doing anything like that, they need to spend time. People want to get on stage and do 60 minutes immediately. And that's not how even comedians work. They get a good five minutes, then a good 15, then a good 20 minutes, then a good 40. And then, you know, and I think anyone that wants to do this sort of stuff, get an amazing five minutes that's unlike anyone else. Then you start from that five minutes learning who you are. And then you can apply that model to everything else that you then do. But when you try and do 60 minutes off the bat, you're you're making it so much harder for yourself. Of course. And that's the thing. The, the more you do it, the more accomplished you become. You also understand how different audiences work. You know, I've had conversations with people that run events sometimes where they want the dance troupe to come on and perform for an hour. And I'm like, nobody's watching this dance troupe for an hour. 10 minutes, wow factor, and bye. But these are the things that you learn falling over hurdles and then getting back up again and going right well i'll not do that again and i'll let yeah. you know i've learned as i go i mean i mean here's the thing i'm at a point now where i'll give anything a shot and i've get, i've get, i always get a tiny bit nervous but i've got no fear now of you know if you said you're doing like if a company phoned to book me and said you're doing 90 minutes on stage for you know our 800 employees i'd be like okay i can do that but you know as you just said i know that the you know the sweet spot would be let's do 60 minutes uh, and then they would be like, oh, why? And I could and I could tell them why. Um, because, you know, they're not coming to see me. I'm going there and it's a different environment. I'm different. And then I would ask, you know, is there a free bar? And if there is, I'd be like, cool. I reckon 40 minutes is right, you know? Yes. And, you know, it's just all these little things that you just learn from, from doing it just because you want to give the best experience possible. And sometimes, you know, it's quality, not quantity. And some people sometimes think the length of time is going to dictate it when really, no, I can do way more value or give way more value in a shorter amount of time than, uh, than yeah, trying to make it last that long. I'll hang out after it. People can come and speak to me and, you know, do other one-on-one things with them if they yeah. want at the bar. But yeah, you, you, you really learn the hard way of different environments. And that's why the, the places I've mentioned so far, except for Wild, but even there, kind of, for what I'm going to say, is people are usually coming to see me, uh, and it's a different mentality of, you know, even the audience being on my side at that point where the fringe of someone tried to heckle me, I could really, for the most part, say anything and know that the audience are on my team, and, you know, as long as I'm not too much of an asshole back, then it's like, well, then, you know, we get it. Uh, but even at Wild, they're coming there to be entertained, for the most part. I mean, maybe if they're with a party, maybe two of the eight people have been to Wild before and they knew it, so other six still had to be, you know, initiated into how it works and stuff, but... For the most part, they're there to be entertained, whereas going to an event is a different mindset for all. And, you know, even learning how to, to play that well took a minute. And uh, but yeah, now now I feel like I can walk on at any stage and I have the material that the lines, the scripts, the approaches, all that stuff where thankfully now after what has been what, when did I start doing this stuff? Like I started getting right performing when I was like 13 like for friends and stuff, but you know, wow. that's now almost almost twenty years, so it's crazy. Chloe just brought in an egg bite. 
uh, from, they don't really have these in the UK, but Starbucks have egg bites here, which is basically somebody has boiled an egg into this little flan type shape. See what? I know. I know all the pets are here because they're, they're hopeful. Even, <laughs> even, look at this. Even the cats, like, I might have some. They're all, you've got all the pets. All the lady pets are in the room at the moment. So, yeah. <laughs> But Chloe very kindly nipped out and got me my, my daily coffee. She is a lovely wife indeed. She's all right. <laughs> yeah, no complaints. <laughs> and oh. I'm just thinking about that moment where you were at the Tree of Knowledge and you were like, oh, wait a minute here. I need to go with my gut. I need to go with my instinct and move into this world that I know I want to be a part of and I, I want to pursue. Have you had that same gut instinct as you've gone along in your career? I'm thinking, like, when was the moment where you thought, I'm going to take this and I'm going to go on Britain's Got Talent and America's Got Talent? Yeah, well, I mean, so many different stories, but I'll go through all of them. So bear in mind, at Tree of Knowledge, I'd already been performing at the Fringe, which is only one month of the year. Schools were already on holiday. Tree of Knowledge worked mainly in schools. So, like, I had that luxury of being able to do both to an extent. But then other offers started coming in for, do you want to come to Australia? Do you want to go to the LA Festival? Do you want to... And it's like being a little boy from the middle of nowhere in Scotland, someone saying, do you want to go to L.A.? And you're like, how do I make that happen? You know, for all, all of this, the dichotomy of the situation of being so split. I mean, I did love what I did and the, the positive impact that I had on so many young adults who still message me on Instagram today saying, you're that guy who whenever something pops up on, you know, now that they can do the, the clips of TV shows on Instagram and they show bits. Yeah. And the people are like, you're that guy. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> So number one is I've never stopped something dead and started something else. I've always transitioned. And I think that's the smart move for anyone, especially with the world that we're, we're in slash moving into. And that is that, you know, everyone's capable of doing these things. The entertainment industry will come back. It can't not, right? It's, it is going to come back and it will come back thriving and stronger. There's a need for it. And I mean, even I was, this is, this is not meant to be depressing, but last night I was researching the Spanish flu and how long that lasted and but it lasted you know, like two years. I bear in mind back then they never had the advancements in medicine technology that we have now. So I believe firmly mm. that it will be over way quicker than that was. But when you look at how quickly entertainment came back, it pretty much bounced back overnight. Already we're seeing it. Theatres, cinemas are opening in America at the moment, which is insane. Why is a cinema okay, but a theatre isn't? But regardless, right, safety number one, so cool. As long as that's, that's the test for it and we're yeah. easing back into it, as long as that is the direction we're moving and as long as we're not moving back the way and things are closing down again, then it's all helping. But um, yeah, exactly. So what I'm saying is, but with everything going on, the, the way to approach it is to transition, is to ease into one. Don't just go, you know, I've got this great job working in the bank. I'm going to stop that today. And I'm going to ask Wild Cabaret on Monday if I can come and do five minutes. Like I've, I've never operated like that. That way just, that worries me for, for the right reasons, for everyone's sake. Don't do that. You know, go start approaching these venues, to craft and take, well, number one, craft what you want to, actually share try that out in as many places as possible and then contact these professional venues and when i say places possible i used to do when i was like 14 15 shows for like charity little get-togethers in livingston uh at little community centers and i would turn up and do my little act for these people and i would film it and i would get i'd watch the video back and take notes so anywhere you can get a chance to to share this with people and the beauty is is that now with social media you've got an audience all over the world you know put a video out and see what happens of anymore but to then do it professionally you want to start contacting these venues and you know getting in touch with them and you want to build up to it so for me i'd already done that uh when i was younger i was already kind of in the door at the fringe and i was like you know i want to now do this full time and companies have been trying to book me 
you know, on my own to do just the entertainment stuff. I was like, okay, so I want to now do more and more of that. Britain's Got Talent kind of happened because um, what had happened at the time, I was doing The Fringe and I was thinking this is a good way to do sort of promotion for that. So Britain's Got Talent was when I was still doing a lot of sketch comedy with the, the group The Color Ham, which was with Kevin Quantum, who is on Britain's Got Talent this year, and Gavin Oates uh, from Tree of Knowledge. The three of us are a group called The Color Ham. And those guys are maybe eight or nine years older than I am. Um, and I learned so much. Like, Gav, Gavin's comedy timing is unrivaled, in my opinion. Like, if Gavin had wanted, um, you know, he had a company, he's got a family and kids. But uh, if he had, 20 years ago, just decided, I'm just going to be a solo stand-up comedian, he, he would have been, you know. And, yeah. and I would see more and more comedians uh, speaking with him uh, and, and doing stuff together because they see... Gavin has this magical quality in him that is just, it's insane. And that was what you know drew me to want to speak to the Tree of Knowledge people that day because Gavin on stage was just, electric's the wrong word because it gives you the sense of someone trying too hard to feel. It's a natural charisma that is just, it just oozes out of him. It's insane. Um, but his comedy timing is, is impeccable. So learning that from him, learning the presence of like magic on bigger stages from Kevin and, the, the, you know, that was invaluable performing with those two. Uh, but then I knew I wanted to achieve this other artistic, artistic in again quotations vision of how I wanted to share what I was doing with an audience. So that I had, to, so I did both shows one year at the same time, and then the next year we did slightly less of the color ham, and I did more of my own show, and it just sort of you know transitioned out. So I do miss it because it was silly, it was fun, but um, you know the the lessons that I've had from doing all this stuff sort of when I've been younger and people around me have been more experienced, whether it's university, whether it's the workplace, whether it's performing, I've been so lucky to be surrounded by people who have been, you know, hugely positive influences on the performance aspect of it. And now to have people like Ryan, who I mentioned, uh, and David in America, those guys to be able to, <clears throat> I mean, if you could look around my office at the moment, I've got, my brain is on fire. I go through, like I say, weeks of I'll be honest, I go through weeks of just being really down at the moment where I'm just like, what, what is happening and stressing? Because it is just that uncertainty and that lack of control. And I think in my life now, I've, I've tried to work to get to a place where I am very much, I take responsibility and control of everything that I do. So then when it feels out of your hands, it is just, it's frustrating. And it can be that you can get this gray cloud over your mind of creativity even. And it's, it's you know, it's upsetting and painful, but... At the same time, I'll, I'll then go read a book and I'll get one idea from a book and that will then spark 20 ideas. And like the the amount of crap I can see across my floor at the moment is insane. I've got one idea for a TV show that I might now have to be going on to film. It's not even locked in yet, but they phoned and said, hey, would you be up for coming to LA to film for two days? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And my brain's now like, oh, what would I do there? And I'm, I think, again, it's that spark of something's happening again and that so lovely. So exactly. So that feeling of, you know, so what my point is, and that's only for a one off, but I need to remember this moment and realize, okay, yes, this stuff is now coming back. So, so will that other stuff as well on top of that. You know? So those days that are really grim and you try and, you know, you try your best to keep your, your mood and your positivity up for the sake of, you know, Chloe and the pets and your it's like, oh, but then there's days where you're just like, oh, I'm just going to, what's the point? I'm just going to stay in bed. No, I, I totally get it. Like, I've not been doing what I love to do for six months. And actually, the lifeline has been this podcast and speaking to people like yourself, because that refuels my passion for just creativity, but also connection with other people who love what they do. But speaking to people like you and just seeing, 
like the absolute passion oozing out of you. I'm like, this is why. Yeah. And by the way, so, and just for people listening, we I said to you earlier, can we start 30 minutes early? Because I woke up and I was in like a really good mood because of creating all yesterday. I'm like, I want you to get me now. And not, not because I want to share a false version of myself. I mean, like I said, there's days where I go through moods of just being like, oh, and then like, yay. And, but I'm not telling people this to put pressure on them. Like no one should put pressure on themselves based on what anyone else is doing. Screw everyone else at the moment, right? Right now, you need to focus on on you. And if anything comes of this from making you feel a bit better or making you think about something in a different way or challenging how you think about stuff, then great. But don't be listening to this thinking, oh, he's doing stuff and I'm still not. The point is that, you know, there, there are still days, like I'm saying, where I just don't get anything done, even though I have the, all the night before, all the intention the next day to wake up and do all that stuff. I just get nothing done. Yeah, you're a human. Exactly. And, some, and I realized early on with my social media, I was just putting out the positive stuff and I'm like wait that's not really authentic or true or honest and it, so it's not that I put out negative stuff but I put out stuff that's real as well now and I'll be like today's to-do list you know get up early but stay in bed till one go for coffee to get energy but do nothing other than remind yourself that you at least you got out of the house for it. and joke about the fact that you know but just address and and people that are listening if you take anything from this it's to remind yourself that especially as performers but as human beings this isn't an attack on you as an individual. This is happening to everybody. And we're all going through this and we're all trying our best to cope. And I think the important word is adapt in our own ways and, and make it work because it will go back to normal. But it's just how do we, you know, what's the life raft that we're, we're sitting in at the moment that, that works for us, that keeps us sane and healthy, um, that gets us to the freaking shoreline as quickly as possible. And that that's what it is just for a little while, you know, and it's, it's, it is, it's utterly crap. I know it is because uh, I'm, I'm going through it as well. But, you know, I do believe that there is no light at the end of the tunnel. And I said already, these people who are meant to be leaders have not been great. But thankfully, the scientists who are working on it have been the real superheroes here. And uh, they're on it. One of my, you know, my good, my one of my best friends, Shin Lim, who I performed together with in the Mirage, you know, he described it the other day as it feels like the Olympic Games in the world of science at the moment. And I just thought that's a wonderful way to all these people are competitively trying to solve this problem for all of us. And that is that is a wonderfully amazing. So uh, it yeah, really is. but no, let me say like let me thank you, Colin, because like you know speaking to you is making me feel better, and I really do appreciate your honesty as well. Like I can't speak for anybody else, but you're just saying that to me in this moment. I'm like. Cool. I mean, if Colin Cloud is saying that it's <laughs> a bit crap and that you can't be bothered doing anything, then that's great because I think you're right. That honesty is important, and everything you do takes so much energy and time and thought processes, and it's exhausting. And it, you know, when when you are busy, but also there's something needs to fuel that energy. And right now, it's it's difficult to get that fuel. Exactly. No, I totally agree. And that is what's missing. I think, you know, I'm lucky that I've, I'm finding more and more ways to perform in, in this virtual environment. And thankfully, the mentalism stuff. Can't yeah, tell me about this. Like, how do you do this online? I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, how do you do it full stop? Yeah. <laughs> but to translate, so we're talking about the beauty of like live theatre. And, you know, in my opinion, you know, there's no substitute for that. But the joy is that we have this tool called the internet that we can speak to people across the world. But then you can speak to people across the world and read their minds. Exactly. <laughs> oh, right. So it's the one, it's the one saving grace at the moment is that I am still able to perform. And I've been performing more and more. I, I did some public stuff to just get used to what material can I come up with an event that will work here? And I, you know, I spent the first month creating a repertoire of new things that would just translate through camera. 
where the wow moment would happen on your end of the screen rather than here with me, you know? So it was like, how do I make those moments happen in people's homes? And and when I started working, oh, wait, that, that, that would work there. And, that, and, you know, it started, the domino effect started of, like, realizing all of this stuff. So learning what material would work there. But then the other side was learning the, literally the, t- the TV production side of it, where, you know, in the room that we're in right now, I'm, I'm sitting off at the, the side desk, which is one of the, the two desks that controls the entire show because there's lighting, there are different cameras, there are, we want we wanted it to basically feel like a TV show and the people were coming in side by side, like kind of like you and I are right now, um, but then being able to bring in other people. And, and so I had to sit down with people who I didn't know any of this stuff. Like in March, if you'd said to me, you're going to have a Zoom call, I'd have been like, what was that? A very fast conversation. I, I, like I would have no, I, would, I had no concept what Zoom was. And wow. now that is the place that I'm performing, you know, more and more. So it's it's crazy. But thankfully, by having the right people come in and help set this up and make it look right and, you know, get the lighting right, the cameras all right and stuff. And they've been amazing. And then to someone who's able to to run the show like an actual TV show and let me just focus on the, the performing people and bringing people in. And, you know, it's 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 not the challenge I wanted this year. Like I moved to Vegas. Because for the past six, five years, I've been touring the world with Illusionist. And it was nice to be like, okay, finally, I get to be in one place with my family, with all the pets, and perform regularly somewhere without needing to be on a freaking tour bus or in an airport every other day. And then this happened. And it was like, no, you better have a second wind in you because you need to learn how to. So That's the thing about, you know, about what creatives are all about. It's just that adapting to the scenario just going right okay how do we figure this out but I feel for you because that ownership that you have it like you were saying earlier on you oversee so much of your performance and you know you have these very key advisors that you will let into your circle because you are so like precious about this thing that you're creating then you're putting it on the internet and you know then you've got a you're like what's a zoom call and now you're having to hand things over to to other people to coordinate for you that must have been really difficult as well yeah i mean technology in general like scares me my, my iphone sometimes crashes so if that can crash and that's a thousand pound bit of kit then uh yeah if that sometimes doesn't work then you know i've got cables everywhere here and it's just like oh my that terrifies me but thankfully they're here they're running that and and I just get to focus on what, what it is I do, you know? So yeah, it's no different to being in Wild Cabaret or The Grand where you have got someone operating the music and the lights and stuff, you know? So it is that trust. And the more we've done it, the more refined it's, uh, it's gotten. And, I, and I'm delighted that the feedback from people has been that they couldn't believe how engaging it still felt, you know, because it is weird for a moment for people where you are, they're watching a performance on a TV that looks like a TV studio. Then all of a sudden they're, involved with it and it's so thankfully it, it did everything i wanted it to do in the best way that it, it can at the moment and uh yeah i'm always learning i'm always improving like the show the the setup and everything you know it's still very much learning at the moment but you know if, if i'm if i can do it then you know again anyone can do it you just got to want to and uh, i didn't want to to begin with i got a call in march and someone's my one of my agents in america said do you want to do a virtual mind reading show for this company and i went no I was like, Mirage said we're opening again in May, so nah, I'm just going to go take a month <laughs> off. I think a month off, and then what we, he went, okay, he said, I'm going to be honest with you, I think this is going to be here for quite some time. And I was like, how long are we talking? He went, at least until the end of the year. And I was like, when's the show? <laughs> you know? but, Figure this online thing out then. But I was yeah. the same with this podcast, dude. I mean, this is, a, this is a passion project. It's 
very much just when I can do it. But like prior to lockdown, I was I had done 70 podcasts face to face. It was like, not don't do the online thing. Technology scares me. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I don't want to be going on the internet. But then when this all happened, I was like, well, I need to embrace it or the podcast needs to stop. And actually, because I haven't been working, this has been the lifeline and I get to speak to you in Vegas. Do you know what I mean? This wouldn't have happened otherwise. So it is just about embracing change and just making the best of a really bad situation yeah and what's been great is that i've had families watch the show who have said things like you know we could never have afforded to come to vegas to watch you or fly to the uk and we've now been able to have you in our house like speaking and it's like that's amazing yeah so i mean as you said it will never be the same as being in the same room as a person but i think there are ways to make it feel as close to that as possible and in the meantime if that's all we have, then it's it's better than nothing. Now, thankfully, like I said, I do believe that we're coming to the end of that. I'm seeing like Vegas has never even Vegas closed for three months and then it opened again without even having people wear masks. And it was just like, this is nonsense. And then it got a second, not a second wave, but still the first wave, but just, you know, <laughs> amplified because people are now they put in perspex dividers at the tables because Chloe and I went when it opened again just to spend money and just like do our tiny tiny part in this big machine to get it up and running mm. and there, there were plastic dividers but then people were just high-fiving around that to strangers and you're just like you've missed the point haven't you um people here are protesting it might be the same they're protesting against wearing masks and stuff but you're like it's not like they're doing it because there's no reason there, there is a thing happening right just for a minute it's like wearing sun cream like you wear sun cream you don't always need it sometimes you put it on unnecessarily but you know what do you want to risk getting burned? But unfortunately with this, it's not just do you want to risk getting burned, it's do you want to risk burning everyone else. That's that's the and that's where I feel like there needs to be a little bit of, you know, consideration and respect for each other. And it will help get rid of this thing much faster. But oh like Gosh, yeah. it's a weird and wonderful world that we live in right now. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't even imagine how you not quieten your mind, but how you are able to have downtime. Because it just feels like you must constantly be ruminating, especially if, I guess, on those days where you've had an idea, something's just kicked off, the room's full of bits of paper and cables and yeah. dogs and cats. I know. I <laughs> and mean, you're like in the middle of it. Are you able to to step away from it? I mean, yeah, I think the ones, the great thing is, I mean, I'm currently feeding one cat and one puppy uh, an egg bite because they both have a penchant for some egg. I was just going to say. Expensive tea. Yeah, I know, right? Um, uh, I think the beauty of having the pets has definitely been great. And this this calming presence, the ability to care about something other than yourself, you know? Yeah, I definitely think that helps keep us grounded and focused. And, you know, Chloe, my wife, she is, you know, magician, dancer, model, escape artist. So she does loads as well. And she's always off being creative and it you know so i think being able to indirectly inspire encourage each other if not directly you know then it's it's nice to to have that feeling of moving forward uh in some way i think the fact that both of us are together yeah and chloe understands everything and you know she'll have days i'm sure where she's not feeling her best i'll have days where i'm not feeling my best but you know you try and surround yourself with as much good energy as uh, as possible and uh i mean that's really I mean, that's the most important thing right now, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Gosh, I, I'm just amazed at everything that you've achieved thus far. I, I can't imagine. Are you talking about this call, feeding the cats and the, the dogs? I know. Time. You're like multitasking. Thanks. Oh, rest, very, by the way. very close. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> keeping animals alive and <laughs> doing a podcast. And- they all get so jealous, though. You give one a bite, and it's like... How many have you got, exactly? i got five, two dogs, three cats, so... Jeez, man. But feeding them is like plate spinning because you feed one, the nibbles are all like, and then you're trying to go back and... Uh, you can't have any favourites, that's not yeah. fair. <laughs> but no, like, obviously you have a, had an amazing career thus far and the, the pathway, the journey has been so interesting and and changeable and you've obviously adapted and you've went with your gut and it's all worked out, it all looks amazing. Do you look back and go, gosh, like, that's mental? Or do you feel like you've totally orchestrated every single inch of it no I mean I definitely look back and feel like most of the time I was doing all that stuff I was exhausted and never got to enjoy it in the moment like you know America's Got Talent was amazing but like you know you turn up there the day before you're rehearsing all day you film it the the nervous exhaustion you know filming all the the b-roll and stuff all of that happening it's uh it's intense and then illusionist touring for years doing that but you're on a tour bus every day you need to get up early get on the bus get i mean you get beds on the bus which is great but you're you're then on a bus sleeping you wake up you go to the hotel you go to the gym you shower you go tech the show you eat you do the show you go back to bed you get so it's like you do all these amazing things and i feel like some of them in the moment i never really had the chance to appreciate uh, and mm-hmm. enjoy fully and it's only really been now like looking back through in America, every show you do, they, they give you a playbill, which is like a free program. It's not quite to the same extent. It's mainly advertising other shows coming up, but but it tells you who's in the cast. And I found a drawer just full of all the playbills of every show that I've been, like, oh my God, when was I? When was I in, you know, that town or that place? And it's so some of it, you know, I is now so much of it's hazy and joined together and. Um, but it's been amazing. There's no doubt about it. But it's just now stopping for this moment and being able to take a second to really appreciate all the stuff that I've done. And you know, I told you before this. I hate listening back to my own voice, but like looking at YouTube clips to cut videos together and be like, "That's mean." When? I when? I did that. And I'm trying to remember it back through not watching it now. I don't want them. I never want the memory of it to be watching me on stage. I always want the memory to be through my eyes of like remembering, looking out, and seeing. You know, like Royal Variety was like. Prince William and Kate Middleton were right there, but then I looked 10 feet and my mum and dad were right there. And it's like, that's the memory I want. I don't want the memory to be this video that's been edited by someone else. I want the memory to be, you know, my view. And so, but regardless, being able to pause right now and take time to look back on it and appreciate all that. And when you get these reminders, the timeline reminders on Instagram and Facebook going, this time three years ago, and it's like, Edinburgh Festival, yeah. Like, I went all. Yeah, no shit. No shit, Facebook. We remember, right? Jeez. I know. I, that's the thing. It just must be amazing for you to to take stock, to have this moment. I guess it's like silver linings. Like we're all trying to find the positives in this time. And I guess that having conversations like this and being able to look back and stop and take stock of everything you've achieved it's like, well, I, I can give myself a wee pat in the back. Yeah, although you are now making it feel like an episode of This Is Your Life, where it's like I'm getting handed a red book and you're like, that's it, your time's done, so uh, you might as well give up. Oh, like, <laughs> I mean, anything's possible. And you've proved it. Like you, The work ethic, the attention to detail, the graft, going with your gut, trusting in the universe and trusting in what your passion for it, it's all came together why would it not continue to soar? Because you still have the love for it. Do you know what I mean? You still have the passion for it. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, uh, you know, that is why I know I... I mean, I'm I am actually a huge Taylor Swift fan, so I'm I'm gonna go back to the <laughs> Colin Cloud mentalist referencing Taylor Swift. Um, but no, 
seeing that, but then seeing also all the comedians still putting out content and seeing all these people staying active and, and present and it's twofold. It's one is it's keeping your profile as high as possible at the moment, obviously. But the other is just still that creative outlet to be doing stuff and remind yourself that that is who you are and to have it be appreciated by people. I mean, I suppose part of why we do this is to is because it's fulfilling for us, but also we do want to make other people happy or challenge the way that, we, that they think in some way. So I think to still be able to to do that, it's never it's never. For me being a case of you know look at me and you know i've never been that yeah. guy. like when i come off stage like when people say to me oh can you read my mind off stage usually i say no and i think over the years i've just learned to keep it to be a special thing that happens there like i'll chat to people but like i, I like to keep it kind of separate for these all these weird wonderful reasons in my head but yeah. i think now um doing it through zoom is obviously slightly different or through the internet is, is slightly different but yeah it's just amazing to see how people have adapted and how they are staying sane and how they are still using their artistic output i suppose uh to still connect with people and and you know be uplifting in their own weird and wonderful ways absolutely again going back to that attention to detail and drawing the person that's way back in the crowd you know of an 8,000 seater auditorium pulling them and making them feel part of the experience that's so important to you whether it's in Wild Cabaret in that small wee venue or whether it's in the Mirage or whether it's online for you it's not just about well I'll do a show and you know most of the people will enjoy it and I'll get paid that's great it's it, it's the care and attention that you hope everybody in that room will get something from it, that you will be able to stop them in their tracks. And for that moment, they can be present with you and just engage in that experience with you. It's very much a, like a collaborative Exactly. Experience. Yeah. And I think that is one thing that I've always tried to achieve in everything that every show I've done is how can I use everyone and how can everyone be a part of what it is I want to, you know, because that way I feel like you're you're going to positively impact, you know, the maximum number of people possible. But yeah, I think that is the the one sort of, not saving grace, but the one uh, positive challenge from this has been like solving those problems and just working out how that does apply in these times. And yeah, that, that has been, you know, great to kind of lead the way uh, with that and, uh, you know, to get awarded the uh, the number one virtual online magic mind reading show uh, Say what? an award i never at the beginning of the year never thought i would be setting out to uh you're like i didn't even know what zoom was yeah i know right <laughs> um to go from nothing to to that that is surrounding yourself with the right people and having the right input again and the right experts when you don't know something to, to get that and learn and grow and adapt quickly but adapt's a word i've used a lot here i'm aware of that but i think that is the the big word of you know 2020 unfortunately fortunately but then i guess in adapting all the things that you learn and then it takes you on this other path like we're saying that you just wouldn't have expected and you just don't know what's going to come from that you know moving forward obviously you want to get back on a stage you want to get back out there in front of a live audience but everything that you've learned in this time i can only imagine the amazing creations that are going to come out of that yeah thinking of all these new weird and wonderful ideas and new weird and wonderful ways it's uh yeah, I am. I am excited now. It's, but it's now also that frustration of going. I've got all this stuff I want to do. Let me out. Let know, me out. Right. But no, I think uh, it is important to also realise that I have not stopped for five or six years now, and to also take a minute to just. For a part of me was like, do I just take a year off and not do anything? But that would also just drive me insane. I mean, obviously, financial side. 
aside, uh, it's like what, mentally, what would I fill my day with? It's like, I mean, I, I, I'd love coffee. Would I just, for, I've, all, I've always wanted to work in a Starbucks just for a little bit of time, just so that I know how they do it so that I can basically make it at home and stop spending thousands a year. Um, but it's like, you know, that would have been, I would have to go work in Starbucks for a week. I'd have loved that. I think you should do like Colin Cloud does work experience. And just go down different. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's only for Starbucks. It's a one-off, it's a pilot episode. Right, right? Yeah, like I don't want to work anywhere else. If yeah, Starbucks don't have me, I'm not going anywhere. BBC Scotland, right? Just listen, we're going to go to America. We're going to go to one Starbucks. And we're going to film this. <laughs> How does it end? It ends, get this, with Colin feeding egg to Oi's pets, right? That is, Boom. that's the... That's well, the- I've seen the preview and it looks it looks brilliant. I'm, I'm signed up, I'm there. Great, delighted. <laughs> Now, Colin, on the podcast, I do a thing called the thingamabobs, and these are random questions, and I will revert back to the porridge discussion that we had. For this the is very the only reason I've hung on for an hour and 12 minutes. And I know, my chat is pants. We were waiting on the porridge chat. Oh, here we go. This is it. Finally, I come into my element, right? <laughs> not at all. Well, there are a list of 70-odd questions, but I'm not going to ask you 70. I have selected a few for you. Right. And one of the questions, because before we came on the chat, you were saying, I've got a couple of calls to make and I meet my porridge. And I thought, well, I have to ask. Yes, you do. So salt or sugar on your porridge? So I'm going to go neither. But tell you what. <laughs> so I make my porridge, right? It's one full. I'm going to go through it. The recipe's brilliant. Do it. It's, ah, it's important. One full mug of uh, of porridge in the, and I prefer the Scottish, the brand, the Scots oats personally. Other brands with the man in the kill. available. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, I fill the cup up in the bowl. Then I get almond milk, and I, I make it with almond milk, not regular milk. And I put a scoop of peanut butter in that, and I melt it all down. The night goes into the bowl. Then on top of that, I put the what's it F A G E the yogurt fish 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 uh, oh I mean, yes the the zero percent but it's actually quite nice that scoop of that on top and then covered with blueberries raspberries and then I drizzle agave on top of that and then I oh. put it all in my face <laughs> that sounds the business <laughs> I should have just said yeah. so that would have been fantastic <laughs> impressive porridge game there so I'm impressed by you what does the world need more of I mean, there's all the, the cheesy, obvious stuff that feels cheesy, but it's true. And that is just respecting each other. You see all the nonsense online and all the the crap every single day. But uh, I was going to say everyone adopting a pet at the moment, but only if the people are of sound mind to adopt a pet. I feel now is the time for people, for the sake of the pet, the animal, if you're in a position to adopting a pet has been like one of the best things we've done. I mean, we've already had pets, but to bring someone new into the family has been amazing. So uh, yeah, more more love, more love for each other and pets. That's that's what we want, right? Yes, they are a joy. Oh, here's one. What's the first thing you notice about someone when you meet them? I always like watching someone when I'm approaching them and seeing how they are, how their body language is, their tonality and all this stuff, and then how that changes when I join the group and how... How much you can tell someone is being false and not really who they really are. I don't know. I, I like, you know, that side of it. And just, uh, I mean, I, I'm genuinely fascinated with all the, the psychology stuff and all the body language and micro expression stuff. And so I am watching things like that as well. Um, and usually aftershave, good good aftershave or good perfume. Uh, that's always That's always important. But yeah, I always, I just love watching how someone interacts with you compared to how they've interacted with you. I, I just social dynamics and i mean we spoke about being authentic earlier but people say being that authentic yeah self. but the different masks there's that book the six masks that we wear 
and how people change their masks depending on the group. And I'm kind of like, I think for the most part, I'm always just now, I've just learned to just be the one mask and it's just too exhausting otherwise. And I'm just, and I always find it hilarious when I come off stage and people go, you know, you're so funny. And I'm like, eh, I feel like I'm just honest. I feel like I'm just saying what I'm really, what I'm really thinking. yeah. So yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> Love it. Here's one. Best thing about Scotland. I really love the Garage Nightclub in Glasgow. And I've gone there since I was 17 years old. And even when I came back recently for uh, for our wedding, myself and my cousin Andrew, even though we're both now like 30 uh, and I'm 33, we, uh, am I? Yeah, we, we still went to the Garage Nightclub in Glasgow. But we've got this ritual where we start in uh, Bar Soba in Glasgow's West End because it's just the best of all the bar sobas. So we start there and then we'll go to like vodka. No, no, the revolution. That's yeah. Vodka revolution. And then we'll walk up Bath street and then we'll end up in the garage. And then my dad, who, even though he lives 30 minutes away, we'll phone him, even though we're maybe a little bit tipsy and we'll phone him and he'll still come and pick us up and drop off my cousin in Lindsay and then drive me back to my house. Um, Your dad's just the loveliest man. There you go. Oh, no complaints. Go, John. Shout out for John. Go, John. Shout out to John. See, love it. I love Glasgow. I really, you know, I miss. I love Edinburgh for the Fringe, but oh, Glasgow. I I miss Glasgow. So I, I mix up all these questions depending on who I'm speaking to, but the very one that I ask every single guest is because the podcast is called The Bra and the Brave. Mm. What is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? Well, there's a word that we use a lot in the show now when we're coming up with uh, how we're going to pull certain things off. I don't know if it's a Scottish word, though, with it being quite jammy. Is that a, is that a Scottish word? Yeah, my yeah. friend, who is a comedian, Jay Lafferty, she had a show at the Fringe last year called Jammy. No way! I know Jay Lafferty, and uh, oh, yeah. Jay's one of my really good friends. Jammy. So, so whenever, so, you know, I love coming up with stuff for other people as well and you know if i come up with something for like if shin i've got a cat here on the keyboard i'm really sorry <laughs> cat uh, the keyboard. Uh, i know but yeah if we come up with stuff now for the show and um, it's like a really bold method for doing something we'll be like oh jammy 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 so i've, I've initiated the uh the american crowd to the word jammy uh i think i think that's probably my my favorite word i also love a denny hinksy uh, because when I say that here, no one has a clue what I'm saying. That's like, um, did you? I, <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but, but yeah, I think Jammy, Jammy trumps the, the lot. Perfect. I don't actually think anyone said, apart from G, mm. I don't think anybody else has said Jammy, so there you go. Colin, this has been an absolute joy. I can't thank you enough. No, thank you for having me. Nice to feel part of Scotland again for a minute. That's been nice. And I know how inundated you will be with these kind of similar offers, so I'm totally honoured that you've came on The Bra and the Brave and you're part no, of the clan now. Absolutely. No, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to everyone who lasted the full, however long this ends up being edited into. And uh, yeah, much love to everyone. Stay safe, stay sane, and uh, I'll be back there very soon. Perfect, sir. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Bra and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.